Have you ever heard somebody say that in a maybe in a threatening manner, you'll go to hell and you'll stay there forever or you'll burn forever and ever in hell? <laughs> Is that necessarily true? Is hell eternal? Is hell forever? And when an unsaved person dies and they will go to hell, do they actually stay there for all eternity? And that's the question that I want to answer uh, in, in today's video. But the short answer is no, you do not go to hell and remain there forever. So hang with me in this in this teaching today and we will discuss why that is not the case. OK, so let's get started. Let's give a little background first. The word hell is from the Greek word Gehenna. And it basically deals with the burning fire or the burning flames. Now, it's used 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times by Jesus himself in the Gospels and one time in the book of James. Now, that should kind of give us a sort of insight into the reality of hell when we come to understand that the majority usage of the term hell itself was by Jesus himself. OK, so 11 times in the New Testament and New Testament alone was hell used. Now, the name is derived from Gehenna, Gehenna, which comes from the Hebrew. OK, it comes from a Hebrew. It has a Hebrew derivation. So allow me to explain that. Gehenna means Valley of Hinnom, and it is that's the short version of saying Valley of the sons of Hinnom. OK, so that's where the Greek New Testament word comes from. The Gehenna of the New Testament comes from Gehenom, Valley of Hinnom. Now, the Valley of Hinnom was known explicitly because of uh, it was a place for idolatrous worship. We see in the Old Testament, we see that in the book of the Kings, as well as it was also a place where King Ahaz and Manasseh sacrificed their children to the God Molech. That is, it made them pass through the fire. Okay. And this was basically done uh, by putting their children into this huge thing and burn them alive. But nevertheless, so the Valley of Hanom was known because of idolatrous worship and this form of sacrificing of children. Okay. Now what you'll find is that um, in the Old Testament, the t uh, hell itself, as we know it in the New Testament, a place of burning where people go after they die, this concept is completely unknown in the Old Testament. There is no usage of that term whatsoever, no derivation from the Hebrew, no usage of it. In the Old Testament, what we will see is a place called Sheol. Now, sometimes depending on what version of the Bible that you're using, noticeably so, like in the King James Version, it makes no distinctions in the word that is used. So sometimes it just simply say hell, when in reality, the word that is being used both in Hebrew as well as sometimes in our Greek text would be Hades. And that is for in the Old Testament sense, Hades is the place for undeparted spirits. 
It's a place where both the righteous as well as the unrighteous go. We'll see that uh, as far as the righteous. Let me give an example concerning Jacob. And we know Jacob was a righteous or we just simply say a saved man. Jacob talking about how his soul would go down into the grave. Hades. Okay. And that if anything should happen to uh, his last son, Benjamin. And then there's another example. Remember in the rebellion of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, that's Numbers chapter 16. These were wicked men unsaved. And when they died in the judgment uh, that was brought about unto them, when the earth swallowed up, their souls descended into Hades. And here's what I want you to say. I'm trying to say is that whether righteous or unrighteous in the Old Testament, it just lets us know that all the dead went into a place called Hades. And that's why we understand it as a place where the spirits or souls of men go once they die, once the spirit leaves the body. Now, when we get into the New Testament, Okay, so the term hell itself, as we know it, burning place of fire was unknown in the Old Testament. But in the intertestinal period, that simply means between the at the end of the Old Testament writings and the beginning of the New Testament writings. In between that time, the concept of hell fire developed or as we have it in the New Testament, Gehenna. That concept developed at that particular time. And so, and it developed because of the Old Testament significance. And what was happening was, remember, uh, where the people were idolaters worship and children were sacrificed in the fire. What happened was later on this valley of, of, of the sons of Hinnom, valley of Hinnom it became a place of continual burning. It was a garbage dump. In in other words, it was a literal garbage dump and the garbage was continuously burning. And this became a picture of what hell would be for the lost, a place of continual burning. So the term hell actually comes into being in the intertestinal period. And we see it being used by the new Testament writers, namely, Jesus and also James. Okay. So now a final point on that hell, the burning hell, as we're speaking of now, okay, was never intended for man. When we look at Matthew chapter 25, and I don't want to get into a great lot detail in this, but to give you an idea, 25, uh, 31 and the end of the chapter, when Jesus was getting ready to come back, He spoke of how when he would come back, he would judge the Gentiles. The righteous Gentiles would be on his right. He called them sheep and the unrighteous Gentiles would be on his left. He called them goat. The unrighteous Gentiles being found unworthy to enter into the kingdom. Remember, he says, when I was hungry and when I was thirsty, you didn't do things right towards me. But nevertheless, they were found unworthy, would be immediately put to death. And then they would enter into a place of flame, eternal flame. This is hell itself that Jesus was talking about. Okay. But notice he said a place that was meant for the devil and his angels. So initially, even though this underworld was built, even hell itself, this underworld, 
It was never intended for man. Only when Adam sinned did the souls of men now have opportunity to go into hell. But God did not build it initially for men. He built it for wicked angels. Okay, and we don't want to get into that right now either. But all right. So now let us look at the question now that we've established our background. The question is, do you go to hell? If you die and go to hell, do you stay there forever? The simple answer is no. Now we're going to look at two general passages of scripture and we don't want to I'll talk a little bit about the background, how we got there. But we want to we don't want to waste a lot of time discussing all of the background. We want to get to the meat of the point so that we can answer the question succinctly. OK, but nevertheless, now, remember, we said earlier that Jesus spoke more about hell, Gehenna, more than any other person in the New Testament. OK, and one of the best passages of scripture that we find this story from the mouth of Jesus about hell is in Luke chapter 16 concerning Lazarus and the rich man. But now notice now sometimes people call it a parable, but it is not a parable. It is never referenced as a parable. And also whenever a Jew, whenever the Jews would use parables, they would never have names by virtue of Lazarus having a name. Jesus told us it lets us know this was not a parable, but a true story. So therefore, when we look at this particular story concerning Lazarus and the rich man, we get more information about hell from the gospels than anywhere else in the Bible. So now let's turn to that particular place in Luke chapter 16. Now we don't want to get into all of the particulars. We know uh, uh, the whole idea of Lazarus being sick, full of sores laid at the rich man's gate. And the rich man would pass by him daily and never attended to Lazarus or tried to help Lazarus. This was basically an indication of the rich man's uh, salvation state. He wasn't saved. He didn't care about Lazarus. Okay. But the whole point of the story is that Jesus was letting them know that simply because you were rich, you were not going to enter into bliss because that was a Jewish way of thinking. The Pharisees had commonly taught the people that if you are wealthy, then you are also in a spiritually good, good position with God. And one of the teachings in this particular story, Jesus was saying, just because you're wealthy doesn't mean that you're in good shape with God. But nevertheless, let's get to the point about hell. So we, they, we know that they both died. So now let's get to that point. So let's start at verse number 22. And then we'll deal with those points about hell in particular. Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, so the first thing we see, both men died. Poor man died, who is Lazarus, carried, into, carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Upon death, the angels escorted Lazarus' spirit into a place called Abraham's bosom. This is also referred to as paradise. This is the Jewish mindset. So these things are synonymous. Abraham's bosom and paradise, same thing. That's, the, that's also the same thing that Jesus promised 
the, uh, I don't want to call him a righteous thief, but let's just call him the thief that converted. But in his conversion, he became righteous. He expressed faith that Jesus was the Messiah. But you know, the thief on the cross who believed in Jesus. Okay. And Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. This is the same place as where Lazarus went called Abraham's bosom. And notice it also says in verse number 22 that the rich man died and he was buried. So the point that I need you to see here is a very important point. Both Lazarus and the rich man died and their respective bodies were buried in the ground. They were buried somewhere. Okay. Their physical bodies were buried, but another part of them, their soul, their spirit part was taken to another place. Lazarus into Abraham's bosom paradise and the rich man. It didn't talk about him particularly yet, but we will. But also what we need to, you need to understand is, and I guess I make mention of it now, but you'll see it later on in the text. The both Lazarus and the rich man were in the same locale. Okay. They weren't in the exact same places, but they were in the same general locale. And we'll see that as we get into the text. So let's move to verse 23 concerning the rich man. And that's who he's talking about. The rich man in Hades, he lifted up his eyes being in torment and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. So now the rich man has died and he is in Hades and Hades is the same. It's the general uh, is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew. Sheol. remember earlier I was talking about, in the Old Testament, how both righteous and unrighteous went into a place called Sheol. Hades is, is the Greek equivalent of this same idea. Hades. Okay. And what we are going to find now is the Sheol that was spoken about in the Old Testament. The Hades, which is the same thing, when we get into the New Testament, is going to give us more information. Remember, the Old Testament just simply said, Everybody went to Sheol, we know to be Hades. The New Testament, now Jesus is going to teach us, yeah, everybody went, but Sheol or Hades is a unique kind of a place. There is a distinction. There's a difference. There's different sides. So let me say compartments, a compartment to where the righteous will go, and a com- which is, would be paradise, and a compartment where the unrighteous would go, which will be hell, Gehenna, the burning fire in the subject today. But nevertheless, so in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, but notice where the rich man was. He was in being in torment. All right. Being in torment. Now that is an interesting phrase. It's called in Greek. It is hupakon in bostinoi. That is being, being, and that is a present tense participle. Now what's important about the present tense participle here is it stresses continuousness. So he didn't, he didn't just suffer a little while, then maybe it stopped and then maybe started back or just suffered a little while. He suffered on and on and on. And then it said being in torment. The beautiful thing about that word basenoi is in the plural. So he, he was in torments. This gives us the indication that his suffering was magnificent. It was great. And that's basically what the plural is trying to let us see. The suffering was 
great. All right. And not and notice something else, too. He was able to see Abraham and see and identify and identify. So that means our memories will be kept intact. Abraham and Lazarus. OK, in Lazarus bosom. But nevertheless, it lets us see something here by the virtue of remember his body is in the ground, but the soul is in hell. Okay. The soul has some physical, uh, physical aspect. I don't know if I'm saying that properly, but the point what I'm trying to say is this, there's an aspect of the soul that allows it to feel. There is an aspect of the soul that allows the soul to see. So there's a similarity. So it seems like whatever the body is like, even though the body is dead, the soul has a, sim a sim similar makeup in a sense, not physical makeup, but some kind of a makeup because notice the soul man is still able to see and to feel. So he saw the rich man being in torment, saw Abraham and he also saw Lazarus, verse number 24. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I'm in agony in this flame. So he cries to Father Abraham to ask him permission to send Lazarus so that Lazarus could comfort the rich man by dipping his finger in water to cool his tongue. Okay? So we see that hell is a place of torment. Notice he says, for I'm in agony in this flame that lets us know it is a place that is continually burning. That's why I remember when I told you about the Valley of Hinnom, which from which the hell name was derived Gehenna, it became a, a dumping place for continual burning. That is the idea that was brought over into this term hell. But nevertheless, getting back on this subject here. So he wants relief from the pain of his agony. Okay. And that's basically what he does. 25. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life, you receive your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. So what does Abraham do? He basically tells him no. <laughs> and he makes him, he brings to mind, tells the rich man, bring to mind the lot that each of them had. Lazarus had a difficult life, a difficult life that you didn't try to help with at all. And you had a very blessed life. And you offered no help to Lazarus at all. But now the tables are reversed. Lazarus is comforted and you yourself now are suffering a great deal more than Lazarus is. OK, so what we see is notice. The place of paradise where Lazarus is, OK, Abraham's bosom, place of paradise and the place of hell of torment. The hell of torment is in the same general locale. You can see from one side to the next side, except for the side of paradise. What did he say about Lazarus? He is being comforted it is a pleasurable side. But the side of the rich man, hell is the side of suffering. So both the righteous and unrighteous dead. And that is before the ascension of Christ. I guess I'll bring that up later on. Went into Hades place of departed spirits, Sheol of the Old Testament. The unrighteous burned in hell. The righteous went into a place of comfort. But now let me finish this. 
And then we'll make that point about the ascension of Jesus. Continuing Abraham's answer to the rich man. And besides all of this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. Okay. So now I'm going to stop right there. His whole point was no, can't send them. Why can't I send Lazarus to give you some form of comfort? He said, because there was a great gulf, a chasm that was permanently fixed to divide paradise from burning hell itself. Okay. And so that the whole point, the whole point that I'm stressing here is this. They both went into the same place, paradise and to hell. All right. And there was a gulf that was set in between them. They can see each other. But here is the main driver of what I'm trying to say. In hell, that is the burning hell that Jesus is talking about in this story that he's telling, a true story that he is telling. Notice, here's the key thing. Their bodies were buried and the soul went into hell and the soul was suffering there. Okay. So therefore hell is a place of suffering for the soul only the body that was, that was shed that, that you that you once had. It's wherever it is in the grave, in the sea or whatever happened to your body It's wherever it is. Only the soul goes to hell and only the soul suffers in hell. Okay. Now, let me make this digression. Paradise that the rich man, I'm sorry, that Lazarus went to, people no longer die and go there. Ever since Jesus ascended on Jesus' ascension after he rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven, people no longer go into paradise after they die. They immediately go to be with Christ. And we see that when the apostle Paul was talking about his struggle between two uh, prevailing issues, whether to stay on earth and continue suffering all of the persecutions he was suffering while ministering for the churches or simply to die because to die, he would immediately be with Christ. And where is Christ? He is seated in heaven at the right hand of God. So when Jesus ascended, and this is Ephesians chapter four, when Jesus appeared in those climates, when he, when he was began to be taken up into heaven, what was invisible, something invisible took place. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, those righteous dead who were in paradise, Jesus took them out of paradise and he took them back to heaven with him. And therefore, from the moment that Jesus ascended back into heaven, paradise remains empty and will forever, even to this day and ever and ever be empty. So righteous people no longer go there. We go straight to heaven. Paradise is now clear. But the point that we were trying to make was, and this point is still true from the moment of Adam, from that time, from that time, all unsaved people from the beginning of Adam, even to this day, up until the judgment day, that's the white throne judgment. And we're going to talk about that soon enough. Go to hell and they remain in hell up until the white throne judgment. Okay. All right. 
And that brings us to the next point that we want to discuss. So first thing we just saw, people go to hell. It is a place of suffering for the soul when the physical body still remains on earth somewhere. Okay. Now, Revelation chapter 20, this is going to help us with the understanding of this whole issue about the temporary nature of hell. But let's give a little background. Revelation chapter 20 talks about the return of Jesus. And this is what we call the second advent in the, in the return of Jesus. He returns with the saints. And I'm not going to get into all of the details of that because I'm going to get with the point about the hell issue. But he returns with the saints of God and he sets up uh, thrones for the saints of God. And we co-rule with Jesus Christ in the kingdom. And this is when Jesus sets up his kingdom, sometimes called either the millennial kingdom or the messianic kingdom. They're both the same thing. The millennial kingdom is referred to that because it lasts for a thousand years. That's the literal meaning of millennium, one thousand that's the length of Jesus' kingdom. Messianic kingdom is called that, and that's basically in Jewish circles a lot because it is a world kingdom that is ruled by the Messiah, Jesus himself. Okay? So when he comes back, he sets up his own throne. He rules over the world, and the saints have co-thrones. They're ruling under the administration of Jesus. He takes Satan, and he binds Satan into the abyss, 4,000 years. All right. So, but now after that thousand years is over with, over with, uh, Satan is released from his prison of the abyss. He goes about amongst the Gentile nation, not Israel, but the Gentile nation. And he deceives the Gentiles once again in massive numbers. And he, this is the final world war. And so Satan leads this Gentile army uh, to try to overthrow Christ and the saints who are now in Jerusalem, who are back in Jerusalem. And it is at that time that Jesus brings about judgment on Satan, which is the final judgment. And Satan will be finally cast into the lake of fire. And since I'm right there, you know, a lot of people talk about the devil in hell. The devil has never been to hell and the devil will never go to hell, never, ever go to hell. That is a fallacy. But anyway, so Jesus comes back after the war, the great war. He thro- after the millennial reign, of course, I'm sorry. He throws Satan into the lake of fire, the lake of fire. OK, and then he brings about judgment day, judgment day. And here's where we're going to start now. In Revelation chapter 20, and let's start at verse number 11. Okay. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose present earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. So now we, now we have in verse number 11, this is the judgment day, or this is what is called the great white throne judgment. All right. And it talks about a great white throne and the he who is sitting on the throne is Jesus. We learned that from John chapter five, when Jesus himself said, the father judges no one. He has committed all judgment to the son. So therefore, 
It is Jesus sitting on this white throne. Okay. And it talks about all of the stuff that is happening in the universe. Uh, the, the, the heaven and earth fled away. And, the, I mean, and these are cosmic disturbances at the great white throne judgment. But I'm not going to get into all of that. Verse number 12. And here's what's important. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Okay, so now what we see is a resurrection. Notice what it is. It is a resurrection of the dead. But now this dead is the righteous dead. I'm sorry, the unrighteous dead. Making so many goofs on that part. These are the unsaved. How do we know that? Let's briefly go to verse number six. All right. Okay. When Jesus returns, and I forgot to tell you this earlier, guys, when Jesus returns uh, from heaven at the beginning of the second advent. Okay. Remember, I told you that he's going to set up the thrones for the righteous, for some of the righteous. Right. There will also be a resurrection of the dead. This resurrection, which is called the first resurrection, and I'm in I'm in Revelation chapter uh, five, Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, 20 verses four through six, Revelation 20 verses four through six. There, there will be a resurrection of the dead. This resurrection involves the Old Testament saints. We see that in Daniel chapter 12, Old Testament saints. So, uh, um, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob will rise up, even John the Baptist, because John the Baptist is a part of the Old Testament saints. OK, all of that, those people will resurrect from the dead as well as those people who died in the after the, the rapture of the church. OK, remember, because once the church is raptured, the, the church receives eternal immortal body. That is a resurrection. That's what Paul talks about in first Corinthians chapter 15, the seed that is planted, our bodies that die will be resurrected. Then he also says, there's another mystery that I can tell you. We shall not all die. And that is the rapture of the church. And that's what Paul talks about it again in first Thessalonians, the dead in Christ rise resurrected and we who are alive caught up. So this is that change, the resurrection of the dead for the church. Okay. But the resurrection that's being talked about in Revelations chapter 20 is the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the resurrection of the saints who died during the tribulation. These are all people, Old Testament saints and tribulation saints who are not a part of the church's rapture. Rapture and resurrection, same thing. Okay. So, and notice what it says in verse number uh, five, that the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. What, so that tells us in the, there's a first resurrection and then there will be a second resurrection. Okay. The first resurrection is a resurrection of the just. How do you know? Let's read verse number six so we can get back to our text. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. 
Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So notice at the beginning of Jesus come back, when he comes back, second advent, thousand years reign, he sets up these ruler, he resurrects the dead, the righteous dead. And notice it said blessed and holy. See, notice it's a blessing to take part in the first resurrection and only those who are holy take part. So this is the resurrection of the righteous only, only when we get to the second resurrection where we are now in this, in the later on in revelation, uh, uh, when we talk about the great white throne judgment, none of these people are saved. All of them are lost. All of them are sinners. Why notice blessed is he who have a part in the first resurrection. Why? Because there will be a second resurrection, but it will have power and bring about death, death. And that's what we learned from verse number six. Okay. So now let's go back to our great white throne judgment teaching. Okay. So he says in verse number 12, he saw the dead small and great and the great and the small just simply means everybody who was dead and notice the dead now. So that means there is a resurrection standing before God. The books were open. These books, and we're not going to get into great detail, but just simply let you know, are the books of works by whether, whether they be judged and the book of life. The book of works has to do with all of the deeds that people have done in their lives. Okay. And that's the whole idea. All of the deeds that people have done in their lives and based upon a person's knowledge and, 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 and how much they have done. In other words, if you knew something was wrong to do and you did it anyway, is greater penalty. Okay. And plus, if you did a lot of sinning, the more you do, the greater your penalty will be. And that's basically what's happening at the white throne judgment. They're being judged according to their works. All right. And finally, we find out that and the whole issue is those person's name will not be written in the book of life. So therefore they are going to be cast away from God. All right. So now let's go to verse number 13. The sea gave up the dead, which were in the, in it, death and haze. Very important. Very important. Gave up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged every one of them according to their deeds. Now notice the dead everywhere they are. That, and that's the whole point of verse number 13, wherever people's physical bodies were, their bodies were resurrected, resurrected into immortal bodies, immortal bodies. Okay. And notice death and Hades. So let me pause. Remember when the rich man died, remember what Jesus said in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes. He was in torment and flame. That is the burning hell. So what happens? The people who are in hell itself were resurrected, but you got to remember. So let me bring it back to your mind. Remember what did it say in Luke 16? When, when they died, their bodies were buried and what happened? The soul went into hell. Notice what we see in Revelation 20 and 13. The bodies have been resurrected. 
and the souls that were in hell have been resurrected and placed into those bodies once again. You see it now? So these people who are in hell are no longer simply in soul form alone. They are now in resurrected, eternal, physical bodies. And that's what 13 is trying to tell us. Okay. So death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And then these people who are now in physical immortal bodies are now standing at the great white throne judgment before Jesus being judged. So they ain't going to be judged as souls, spirit creatures. They're going to be judged as physical beings. All right, let's get to the final one. Verse number 14 and 15. I'll say this is the second death, the lake of fire. That's the end of 14, second death, lake of fire. So remember when it talked about earlier, the, the, the second death has no power. So the lake of fire is the second death. So second death does not mean that the person dies again. The, the, re, the terminology of death simply means separation, separation. There are three types of death a person can experience. I might as well tell you since I'm here. You can experience spiritual death alive in the body. And that just simply means you're not saved. Once at one time, we were all dead in our trespasses and sin, as the Apostle Paul has taught us. That's spiritual death while alive. Then there is physical death. And that's what James says. When the spirit of a man, the soul of a man, soul and spirit, same thing. When the soul of a man departs from his body, he is dead. Okay, so then there is physical death. But notice again, that is separation, separation of soul from body. And now we find the second death. Second death is to be cast into the lake of fire. For it is the lake of fire where men will be, men and angels, evil angels, will be forever cast, separated from the presence of God. So the very idea of death means separation, whether separated while you're alive, dead in sin, or separated when the soul leaves the body, or separated eternally in the lake of fire. That's why they call the lake of fire the second death, because that separation will be for all eternity. Okay? And 15, uh, uh, nail into the coffin. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so let's see what we see. The great white throne judgment is the resurrection of the unrighteous dead. Those unrighteous dead, those bodies, the bodies of those people are resurrected to immortal physical bodies where their souls are pulled from hell itself. Hell, Gehenna, Sheol, as it said, Hades. Remember, hell is a part of Hades. And joined once again with their resurrected physical bodies. And then that immortal body is cast into the lake of fire. So in saying all of that, now let's answer the question. Is hell, as is commonly thought, eternal? The answer is absolutely not hell is a place where the soul goes and the soul is in torment only up until the great white throne judgment, 
while the physical body remains in the ground or wherever it is. But during the great white, white throne judgment, hell itself is emptied out. Those people who were in hell are now resurrected to physical immortal bodies and therefore will be cast into the lake of fire. Hence our answer, hell is only temporary. It is the lake of fire that is eternal. And those two things are quite separate.